0: Okay, good evening, everybody. Good evening. Thank you. It is a good evening. I have a crossbreeds that no one else has right here. That's very lovely. Um, thanks, for, thanks for being here in Northern Auditorium. We're back in Hillel next week, but I'm really glad to be with you. This is a, a passage I've been excited to, to talk about and have joy thinking about uh, this week. We are continuing our series in the questions of Jesus. Uh, we're looking at these questions that Jesus asks because every time Jesus asks a question, it reveals something about us and invites us to something in Him. And we're in a, a story in Mark 5. You, you may have noticed that we've been spending a lot of time in this kind of early middle section of Mark 4, 5, and 6. We talked about uh, Mark 6 last week, the feeding of the 5,000, that question, how many loaves do you have? And we've actually already talked about Mark 4 as well. This is, this is Jesus' calming of the storm. It's where He asks His disciples, why are you so afraid? Oh, you a little faith. So we're, we're jumping around even chronologically here, and I apologize for that. But we're going to spend the next two weeks in Mark chapter 5, because what we've got in this, in this little section at the end of Mark 5 is sort of two stories together. There's one story with another story inside of it, and we're going to do the inside of it story today. So you're going to hear the beginning of one story, a story, and then the, the rest of that first story you're going to hear we'll talk about next week. But uh, I'm going to go ahead and read from Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 21. So if you have your Bible, be great for you to turn there or it's printed on your hand It be great for you to have it in front of you. This is Mark five, twenty-one. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for twelve years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She would heard the reports about Jesus, and came up behind him in the crowd, and touched his garment. For she said, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately... Your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. This is God's word. It's absolutely true. And he gives it to us because he loves us. Let's pray. And then we'll get started. Lord Jesus, thank you for the gift of this evening. Thank you for the signs of spring and the flowers coming up. Thank you for your kindness to always be with us. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be at work right now through your word so that we might know you and love you more and love each other. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of, the most, one of the most powerful, one of the most common, and one of the most heartbreaking experiences that humans go through is the experience of loneliness. And, and in fact, mental health professionals would describe college these days as a place where there's an epidemic of loneliness, a place where people feel like no one is with them, like no one really knows them, like no one really sees them. And this, this feeling is so powerful that it inspires all sorts of things for example, the Justin Bieber song, One Less Lonely Heart. And I think, I think, my, record is, I think my record is pretty clear on this, that uh, I'm pretty fascinated with Justin Bieber and, and his life. And um, for, for a while, and I don't know what, what age he was, you guys are, are more of the Justin Bieber era than I myself. I'm, it's a little vintage for me. But there was a time when he was touring and doing this song. This is when he was like 12, 13, 14 years old. And every time he would do this song, they had a tradition that they would They would go find some girl from the audience and they would bring her up on stage and Justin they would put on a stool and Justin would serenade her and then give her this huge bouquet of roses Uh, and and there's this line if you let me inside your world there's gonna be one less lonely heart here's here's the idea you you're lonely you've had heartbreak you've had tears But if you let me love you, I'm going to solve your loneliness. And in this moment, these girls are like hysterically crying and heaving. And everyone in the audience is like half screaming at Justin and half just so angry that they weren't chosen to be the one less lonely heart. Uh, And so there's this moment of like one less lonely girl heart. It's the same. All right. We all have hearts. You guys have been waiting to tell me that. I understand. The murmuring makes more sense now. One less lonely girl. They're all angry. It wasn't them. It was her. And so there's this moment of, of bliss, right? Because in this moment, this girl, okay, is, is, is less lonely. And of course, the, uh, of course, there's a lot of ironies about this. One of the ironies is that, like, she's not going home with Justin that night. She's going to be just as lonely the next day. And if you've seen the new documentary about Justin Bieber, you'll know he was desperately lonely this whole time. You should watch it. It's on YouTube. It's fascinating. <laughs> But, but this feeling is really, this feeling is really powerful, and, and we have this desire for someone to like come and take us out of this crowd and to tell us you don't have to be lonely anymore, right? And, and as, we, as we look at this, at this woman in, in Mark 5, she has a lot of problems. She has a lot of troubles, but one of the things that we're going to really focus on, and I think the text focuses on, is that she's lonely. She doesn't feel like she has anyone. She doesn't feel like anyone is for her. She doesn't feel like anyone really sees her. And so what I, want to, what I want to talk about is this really simple question that happens where Jesus turns to her and he says, who touched me? Who touched me? And we're going to see this question, it does a couple of things. First, it reveals our longing, and second, it invites us to be seen by him. It reveals our longing and invites us to be seen by him, okay? So first, it reveals our, our longing. And to understand her longing, you kind of have to understand what her life has been like. This is a woman with, with a lot of different problems. We, we read that she's had this discharge of blood for, for 12 years. So we don't know exactly what's medically happening, but she's got some kind of internal hemorrhaging that's resulting in, in chronic pain and even some bodily discharges. So this is, you can imagine, an incredibly painful, incredibly uncomfortable, an incredibly inconvenient thing to have to live with every day. And she's lived with it not for a few weeks or a few months, but for 12 years. And there's a lot of consequences of this kind of thing. Uh, one is that she's spent all the money she's had on doctors. So this is a person who is penniless, who has no money. And she comes to Jesus by herself. No one's bringing her. There's some instances where uh, there's someone who can't walk, and their friends bring them on a mat. They have some support around. This one does have, doesn't have anyone. She comes to Jesus all by herself. She's in an incredibly vulnerable position. She doesn't have any way to provide for herself to take care of herself And not only that, but we read she's been suffering under all these doctors. And again, we don't know the details, but the sense is that they've extorted, they've seen a vulnerable woman alone and they've extorted money out of her and they've done her no good. That she's been mistreated, that she's been taken advantage of. And then to to make things even worse, you you find out that uh, if you read through the scriptures that this sort of thing would make someone ritually unclean amongst the people of Israel. And and that's a whole conversation about what that means. To be clean and unclean is something that's talked a lot about in the Old Testament. It doesn't have anything to do with being sinful or not sinful, but it has to do with can you properly be a part of the worshiping people of God? And if you had this kind of disease, then you couldn't. And I was like reading in Numbers this week in my Bible reading about this kind of thing, and this kind of person would be removed from the camp of people, removed from the community, and they'd have to be outside until they could come back in. Well, this is 12 years of that. 12 years of being rejected, discarded, taken advantage of, mistreated, in pain and discomfort. 12 years of loneliness. And thankfully, I don't think anyone in this room has that exact same kind of story, but we know that feeling, don't we? We know that feeling of being unwanted, of being rejected, of feeling like nobody really knows us. And nobody really sees us. And she feels like that to such an extent that she's afraid to openly ask for Jesus' help. The Gospels are full of these stories of people calling out to Jesus as he's walking, Son of David, have mercy on me. But she's too ashamed. So she creeps up behind him in the crowd. It says that she's heard the report of Jesus. She's never met Jesus before, but she's heard about him. She's heard about him. So you can imagine that someone like this is someone who is filled with these really intense longings. Can you imagine what she would be longing for? Longing to feel better? Longing for relief? Longing for protection? Longing to be included? Longing to be loved? Longing to be provided for and cared for? She's filled with these longings, and in this moment we find out exactly this one single point where her longings are directed. She says, if I can just touch his garment, if I can just touch Jesus. All of her longing is focused on this moment, and so she creeps up behind him in the crowd, and she does it. She touches his garment, touches the edge of his clothing, and immediately she can tell she's been healed. She can tell immediately that her body has been restored. Now, this is a kind of odd moment. There's there's not other cases like this with Jesus in the Gospels where he seems to uh, heal someone unaware. And we're not told, like, what is the divine power mechanism here? Is Jesus just leaking power, and if you get him in the right moment, you get healed, like you get zapped with his power? Is Jesus really unaware? Is, is he actually know exactly what's going on? He's just playing dumb when he turns around and says he t- we're not We're not told, okay? What, what we're told is that this woman had focused all of the longings of all of her loneliness, all of her pain, on if I can just get to Jesus. And so Jesus turns around in this moment, and he asks this question, who touched my garment? And the disciples are incredulous. Jesus, what are you talking about? We're in a crowd of people. There's a dozen people touching you right now. What do you mean, who touched me? But Jesus knows something different happened than just being touched. He knows that someone was longing to connect with him, longing to encounter His power. What what we see here is that there's a difference between being in the vicinity of God and longing to connect with Jesus, and it's a a significant difference, and it's a difference that Jesus dramatically and immediately responds to. So I think that that's that's what the question really reveals: Do you or do you not long to connect with Jesus? This question reveals someone is here who's not just around me, who's not just interested in me, but who longs to encounter me, to touch me, to connect with me, to experience my power. And I think that's a question that Jesus might be asking us tonight. Are we the kind of people who are just interested in being around Jesus, being in the vicinity of him, being alongside him, or are we longing to touch him, to connect with him, to experience his power in our lives? Jesus' question reveals whether or not we are longing to connect with him in that kind of way. The second thing is that his question, who touched me, it it invites us to be seen by him. Jesus has this immediate and dramatic reaction to what's happening. There's there's some stories where Jesus meets someone who's suffering. They're blind or they're crippled, and he, he has a conversation with them. We talked about this about the man, the crippled man who was by the pool of Bethesda, and Jesus went up to him and he said, do you want to be healed? They had this conversation. Well, in this case, the conversation happens after the healing. So he's talking, he's asking this question to a person who's already been healed, who's already experienced his power. And and this tells us that Jesus wants even more with her. He doesn't just want to heal her, he wants to know her. Jesus doesn't just care about our problems, he cares about us. And so he turns and he asks this question, who is it? And it says he looks around. And I imagine that they connected eyes. I, I don't know. We're not told. But she just touched him. And he turned around. And immediately, she can't be that far. It's not like she's having to run from the back of the crowd. She's one of the people right in front of his face now. He's saying, I don't just care that I healed you. I want you to know that you're my beloved. That you're my child. I want to connect with you. I want to know you. I want to see you. And so this woman falls down before Jesus and tells him. It says it tells him the whole thing. She tells him the whole thing. There's something about being seen and called out by Jesus that transforms us. That because Jesus turns and sees her, she feels safe. Because she feels safe, she's able to be vulnerable, to tell him everything. Tell him all her story of what she's been through, her suffering, all her trials, these 12 years, what she heard about him, what she was thinking when she got to that crowd and saw him in the middle with the people around him, how difficult it was to squeeze through all these other people to get to him, what it must have felt like in her body and in her heart when the power went out from him. It changes us to be seen by Jesus. And It's, a, it's also an interesting story because Mark doesn't give us a lot of dialogue. He doesn't tell us what she said. The emphasis is that she reached out and Jesus turned and looked for her. She reached out and Jesus turned and looked at her. She received power when she touched him, but she received peace when she was seen by him. He calls her daughter. He says, Your faith has made you well. He affirms the longings of her heart to seek him and he sends her away in peace. And that same Savior, that same healer sees you and cares for you and wants more for you for you to just be in his vicinity. Wants even more from you than just to help you. He wants you. He cares for you. He wants to encounter you. And he wants you to experience the power of being seen, really seen. That being seen that's where you know you're appreciated and understood and valued and loved. And we need it because we experience loneliness. We experience it even in a crowded room like this. One of the ironies of college is that it's a time where there's these pockets of groups and communities everywhere. We've got classes and we've got clubs and we've got halls in our dorm and. We've got ministries and churches. We've got fraternities and sororities. We've got sports teams. We've got all these things, all these groups, and yet most of you, most of us, struggle with forms of loneliness. Like there's people around me, but I'm not sure if they really see me. So I want to offer you three things tonight about what we should do in this experience. When we feel unseen, in the ways we've been mistreated by others, when we're out of energy trying to solve it for ourselves, what do we do, okay? Okay. There's a, a, a theologian named Chris Wright, who I like, this is what he says. He says, when life crowds in with all its pressures, there is still room for us to creep up behind Jesus, if that's all we feel we can do, and reach out to touch him in that odd mixture of fear and faith that characterizes so much of Christian discipleship. I love that. When life crowds in, there is still room for us to creep up behind Jesus. So, the first thing I want to challenge you to do is to, is to think are, are you the kind of person who's satisfied being in the vicinity of Jesus? Or can you see how all your longings could be focused in reaching out to him, to encounter him? And he's actually inviting you to do that. It's actually really easy to do if you don't know how to do this. You just pray to him, you just ask him, you just say to him in your heart, Jesus, are you there? Are you real? Could you really be with me and help me? Will you show me if it's real? I actually really encourage you to pray that kind of prayer. I know what the answer is going to be. I know what the answer is going to be. Reach out to him. The, the second thing is this. Oh, I'll say this. I'll say this too. The, the other way to reach out to him. Trust, try to trust Jesus enough to tell him everything. To come before him like she didn't just tell the whole story. Like that's the, the easiest way to know how to pray is to just tell him about yourself, which, of course, he knows. He longs for you to experience being listened to and seen by him, OK? Um, the second thing is this, is that we got to learn how to be friends who see each other, who really see each other. And one of the reasons there's so much loneliness in even a small, community-based, campus-centralized place like Washington and Lee is that we've got all these friends, and we hang out together, and we do stuff together, but we don't really see each other. We don't always share our stories with each other. How many friends know your life story here at Washington and Lee? Probably not that many. How many friends know the darkest places of your heart? How many friends know the strongest places of your life and your faith? We have to learn how to trust each other to be the kind of friends that reflect this way of God loving us, that we really see each other. And that means saying to your friend, I want to know about you. I want to know about your story. Tell me about your family. What's been fun for you about time here so far? What's been bad? We, we tend to just skip it and move on to what's next. That's why the most common question on Friday is what are you doing tonight, right? We're always looking to the next thing. We've got to remember to learn each other's stories to see each other. And the last thing I'd say is this, and this is something that I, I aspire to, something that our, our ministry leadership team aspires to, something I, I want to encourage all of us to aspire to, is to be the kind of community that is looking around, just like Jesus is looking around, for people who are unseen, for people who are on the fringes, for people who are in this room right now, or who are not in this room right now, who feel like they're not a part of something. We have the the sense that we have really busy, important things to do, right? Do you know what Jesus is on his way to do here when he stops everything? To heal a little girl who's dying. He's on an important mission. His tasks matter. And he still is willing to stop and to turn and to look and to ask. So I want to challenge you to consider the ways where you feel or where you're living as if you're too busy to really look around and see who needs to be seen. And that we might reflect God's love on a campus in this, in this way of seeing each other. You, you may have heard me talk about this before. There's a, an artist who did an exhibit in 2010 at the Museum of Modern Art in New York City, and the, and the exhibit was called The Artist is Present. And uh, if you want to know more about this artist, this woman, I, I'd be happy to tell you about it another time. I don't want to spend too much time on this, but she decided to do this, this exhibit, which uh, really a performance where for 100 days, for eight hours a day, and then for 10 hours on Fridays, for 100 days straight, she got in the, in the middle of this large atrium in the moment, the Museum of Modern Art. And she sat in a chair, and there was an empty chair across from her. And anyone who wanted could come and sit down in the chair in front of her all day, every day, for 100 days. And someone would come, and they would sit down, and she would have her head down. And when they would sit down, she would turn, and she would just look at them. She would just look them in the eye. And they could stay as long as they wanted, and then they would get up, and the next person would come, and they would sit down. And as soon as that person stood up, she would look down. And when the next person sat down, she would look up and just look in their eyes. She did this for eight or ten hours a day for a hundred days straight. Just looked at people. Just created a moment for people to come, strangers, to come and sit and be looked at. What do you think it did to people? It, It completely undid them. It completely transformed them. It completely changed them. Strangers who were just curious waited in line for hours and hours and then sat down across from a woman who never spoke to them, who just looked at them, and they just wept. And people might sit down for all kinds of reasons. Maybe they're just curious. Maybe they're angry. Maybe they have pain. But all of these people, all of these people bringing their loneliness came to this chair and just sat and were looked at and it transformed them. Because we're all longing to be brought up and to be saying to or to be looked at, to be seen. We're all longing to be seen. And there's times in our lives where we're not seen, where we're not valued, where we're not treated well, where we're not cared for. And I want to tell you, if you are lonely, that the Savior of the world who created all things and who died and rose from the dead sees you. He sees you. And if you are willing to stop and to sit before him and to let yourself be seen by him, it's going to change you. It's going to build up in you the belovedness of being his child to such an extent that you're able to spread that like light and salt in the world to everyone around you. So let's come to him. Let's let him see us. He longs for you to be seen by him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you, we thank you that you see us. We praise you and we thank you that in the midst of our loneliness, that when we call out to you, when we reach out to you, even in amongst the, the pressures and the crowdedness and the hurriedness and the distraction and the pain of our lives, you stop, and you turn, and you look, and you call out to us. And I pray that more and more you would help us to have the courage and the faith to sit and be seen by you and be transformed by being looked at by someone who really knows us and really loves us. And I pray that that would empower us to see each other. And pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.